Welcome to Design Much with Andy and Patrick. Yo, Andy. Uh, yo, Patrick. <laughs> oh, shaking. Uh, did you do any? Did you do any homework? How to collaborate on You know, I started doing some homework, but I, I don't have anything definitive yet. How about I'm you? the same way. Okay. <laughs> I thought about starting doing my homework on that, and then oh, you just didn't life, even do it. Got busy. You just thought about it. I thought about it, but okay. I thought about it. Okay. It's not like I didn't do anything. <laughs> I was thinking about it. Um, should we should we pick a different topic for today, and then we'll continue the research? I think we should. Another, um, yeah, we were talking about this. I think we can get um, some more good information. Maybe even um, like somebody. To maybe tell we can get us, a guest. maybe we can get a guest. So I, th- I think we can, we can hold off on this one a little bit later, longer and uh, explore something else in the meantime. Sounds like a party. Um, did you do any research on the uh, the would you rather question from last week? <laughs> do research on it? Yeah. You mean like uh, our audience, like their feedback? Yeah. Did we get any? I haven't seen anything from our audience. I haven't seen anything from our. I think so, our audience is a little bit. I mean, it's a rough. It's a it's it, it's kind of a thought provoking. Would you rather? So it I understand is. that people are kind of like could staying take, away. Could take a couple of weeks to get yeah. get that answer. I understand people are staying away from that. <laughs> um, it's deep, so I want you to think about that. But uh, yeah, what are we gonna what are we gonna talk about today? Well, Patrick, Andrew, let's let's go ahead and find out. I'm gonna pull out the random number generator and generate a random number. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right, and oh. What do, All right. What do we got? Let's see it what we got here. better not be from Allie Clark. It's not from Allie Clark. <gasps> um, so the topic today comes from um, Jacob Yates. Jacob Yates. And the topic is um, coaching stakeholders on best practices. Ooh, this is a good one. Yeah, this, this should be interesting. This is a good one because this one ties into our stakeholders conversation we had a month or so ago. Yeah. About like who are stakeholders and mm-hmm. all that stuff. All right, coaching stakeholders on best practices. Okay, Andy. So how? I, yeah, how do you do it, Patrick? How, how do you coach your stakeholders <laughs> on best practices? Um, this is this is a great question. I'm I'm not sure exactly how to start this off. Um, <laughs> to be completely honest, depends on what these best practices are. Like, what what is he referring to in terms of those? Um, are they like practices in terms of developing a product? Um, I think I think it's specifically in terms of design, right? I think okay. we, we could look at it and under that lens. Okay. And like we we kind of talked about who stakeholders are. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we coach them? How do we coach them in the best practices of design, design process? Um, what does it mean? What we're, what our goals are? What we're trying to accomplish? That kind of stuff. Gotcha. I think okay. That's what it. I, that's, that's probably what, what it means. What I assume. Right? I'm not entirely sure, but that's that's great. Um, so, how do we coach them? So, maybe we should discuss why it is important in the first place to coach these individuals. Um, you're yeah. you're the designer, Patrick. Do you have to tell everybody else how to do design, or why can't no, you just? No, you do shouldn't it? have to do it. You shouldn't have to do it. You shouldn't have to do it because technically everyone's a designer. Okay. Uh, so they should already know how to do it. Uh-huh. Um, no. Uh, uh, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's a good thing to get like I mean these are, these are your stakeholders these are people let's let's speak in terms of the very high interested stakeholders okay right? yeah um, 
if we put it through that lens, then these are people that really kind of want to know what's going on, mm-hmm. right? They want to know, I think on some level, they want to know your practices so they know when they can interact with you. They want to know when, you know, everything from idea, concept, to even like the practicality of like, when can I talk to this person? Mm-hmm. When are they ready for me to give feedback? When are they ready to do all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, and a lot of these stakeholders you work with on a daily basis. So you should, they should probably understand your process. Yes, this is clarity, a great point. Right. So I think a, a great way to start this coaching is basically um, teach them, inform them of what your design process is. Um, I think, and we talked about this a little bit when we were, we were discussing Figma, um, when, we were, mm-hmm. when you brought up the point of um, when you open up the gates and allow anybody to give you feedback at any time, people get worried about getting like feedback overload. Um, and, and then we also talked about, well, what if you actually told them what the design process is, like when you're supposed to be looking at feedback and when you're supposed to be taking that feedback and, you know, running with it, because those are two different periods of the design process, right? Um, so if you, if you actually communicated what that process is to those individuals, then they can know where you are in the process, when you're looking for feedback, when you're not looking for feedback and, um, as stakeholders and being people that are like interested in this this project that have a stake in it, right? Um, they'll want to know the design process anyway. I would assume mm-hmm. because they want to know what stage you are in this in in terms of building this solution. Well, yeah, they want to be. I mean, as any stakeholder, you want to be involved in the process mm-hmm. because you care about it. The same way we would be involved in the development process. I what if we what if we reverse the conversation and said what would we like to know? as from our development coaches on their best practice. Oh yeah. Because we're stakeholders in the build process. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as like, say like if we just, if we just did the design build relationship, designer <clears throat> engineering relationship, we're just as much stakeholders in the build process as they are in the design process. So like, what do we, we, we want to know when things are going to get built. Yeah. It's a lot of times I don't think we want to know. It doesn't matter too much, like how they're going to get built. Mm-hmm. Um, like what, what library they're using or, um, you know, what coding language they're using or anything like that. I don't think that is not what we are super concerned with, but we are concerned with like when things are going to get built. Um, Mm -hmm. if we milestone things out, like how do those milestones, like what milestones are getting released to the users? What aren't, um, because I think that's important to understand from a UX standpoint. I've had times where I, I went away and was in my own little black box and then something gets released to the <laughs> user and I didn't know. Uh huh. So a lot of it's like timing and a lot of it's like, well, what is it? And then you freak out. You're like, well, but you didn't do this thing. And you're like, oh, but we, we took, you know, we're going to do that next. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. like there's that kind of process. We talked about this as well with like in terms of working with developers and a, a few episodes back. I can't remember which one specifically, um, yeah. but how like in my team, there's also kind of a testing phase that I take part in. Mm-hmm. Like before something is actually shipped, I make sure that there's a, a quality check on the design side um, to make sure it is the right thing. That, yeah, you know, when it comes back around to you, yeah. so you can you know everybody's everybody's aligned that this is what we should release. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I think I think uh, I think the coaching that I would want from developers is just that is like being able to work with them at the beginning to estimate the build process. Mm-hmm. Like here's a design we've worked on, right? Now we're at this point where we have a design, we have a concept. Now how do we build it? It's nice to be in the room and be a part of that conversation of how they're going to build it. 
Um, you know, how much, how many developers is it going to take? Who's it going to take? Does it, you know, who, who does it require to take? Um, and then, yeah, the estimates, like what kind of estimates they are so you can make adjustments. Because sometimes we have to make adjustments in our design mm-hmm. to be like, oh, well, if we want to release something in three weeks, maybe we tweak it and you build this and this first. And then that gets something to our to our consumers faster, yeah. right? To our clients faster. Um, so I'd want to be coached on that process, like how they, how they, that's something that's kind of always been a mystery to me, like from the engineering standpoint is how they even estimate something. Like, I don't even know what goes into it. Right. Like we just go, what's the estimate on this? And they're like, "Mm, extra large. And you're like, well, what does that mean though? Like, what did you, what were your, um, what were your best practices? And creating that estimate, like what kind of things in your brain were you putting together? Yeah, what are all the things yeah. you're considering when you're trying to make? Were you putting guess? in? Yeah, like are you putting in? Because because in my mind, I, I feel like they put in like um, they've got like oh well, how much how much do I know about the code base? Mm-hmm. First of all, have I ever worked on that code base? Is there anybody around that knows that code base very well? Um, how much front end is it going to require? How much back end is it going to require? Like, there's so much of that going on in their brain, and it's. Like that's the kind of stuff that I think would be nice as a designer, um, <clears throat> you know, knowing like when I when we give a project to somebody mm-hmm. and they give us an estimate like extra large and we're like, it's a button. But if they don't know where that code base is and they don't know like who to talk to about that, then they have to do a lot of research and a lot of finding out. So yep. it would be an extra large. But I'm making the assumption um, that it's not because it looks easy, right? Also, um, in terms of best practices, like there are best practices when you're building something, right? Like, do you want to consider mm-hmm. accessibility? This is yeah. a best practice. Do you want to um, build this in a way that, that works really well? Or do you want to build this in a really hacky way so we can get it done really fast? Yeah. Right. So <laughs> is like, it sustainable or yeah. is it going to be bug ridden and we got to, we got to maintain it? Yeah. So there's, there's like standards that they're considering as well. And mm-hmm. some of those standards we are not even thinking about at all terms of how the way they or the way they actually go about building something so yeah I, I agree with that I think that's a really interesting thing that would be great to know we don't have to know every piece of it we don't have to know every consideration they're making um, but I think it'd be great to know like where they are in the process and I imagine they kind of break their 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 building process into into chunks I imagine mm-hmm. there's research that they take so if, if they have to, when they're making those considerations, they're probably making an initial guess. Like, I think this is going to be an extra large project. But then when they get into the project, they're going to actually do more thorough research, like about this code base, who, you know, who all, they're going to answer all those questions they had in their brain. So it could be interesting to know, like, where they are in their process, if there is any sort of structured process they typically take when they're doing that, um, so that we can know when, when we want to bug them, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. If I'm going through and I'm testing like a design that, or like if I'm testing like a built design, um, can I go bug them about it or should I wait until it's, until it's yeah. more ready for when, them when to do I, it? Yeah. When am I, when are they going to be available for me to jump yeah. in and help? Cause it could be that this, this problem, this issue that I find with this built design is going to be fixed in two seconds when they mm-hmm. like release something, you know? So yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff there. Um, so how I think that's a really good analogy for how, you know, it makes sense for us to, you know, if we flip that on its head, um, working with developers. So what, what sort of things can we coach on best practices? We've talked so far about um, t- 
telling uh, those individuals about our design process and those different stages? Um, is there anything else that we could coach them on in terms of um, in terms of those those best practices? In terms of the design, kind of more design best practices? Yeah. I think, yeah, like working with PMs and like if you're working with PMs like we do, a lot of it's going to be um, best practices in research, like and even understanding what we're, you know, like relaying what we're learning, mm-hmm. but not even relaying what we're learning, but how we're actually capturing that so that they understand like we have a set of rules that we generally try to follow when mm-hmm. we capture those, you know, bias rules, things like that, that we try to follow um, and relaying that information to them so that they can not necessarily build trust, but they can understand like, oh, that's what we went through, right? Yeah. Um, so early on research, I think user testing is probably one where they care a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to know, I mean, at the end of the day, they want to know that they're going to build something that is valuable to our users. And we want to design something valuable for our users. Yeah. So it's the same, it's the same need, right? It's the same thing. Um, so relaying the best practices on what we do as far as user testing, mm-hmm. right? Because there's plenty of user test stuff out there. And there's plenty of voices. There's lots of voices in user testing that says, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. And, you know, they're out there looking at that too, right? Yep. They're out there reading medium articles and <laughs> blog posts and things like that. They're very interested stakeholders. So, you know, a PM or a developer may have heard, you know, done it at this place or this is the way we do it here, or they read this article that was really cool. And um, so, you know, they want to be involved in that or want to understand why you do the process that you do. And I think that's when that's when the coaching thing would come in. Um, and I think a lot of it, I think tools that would help, I think Maze helps a ton um, with that, honestly, because like it takes some of the coaching away from us. We can give them a report or we can show them the results from user tests. Mm-hmm. And let them kind of diagnose it, right? And then yeah. from there, we can be like, yeah, so from here, now we got to make a decision based on this or this or this. And then get them involved in that decision-making process. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of, it's a little tricky. Like, how do you coach somebody across the entire process without trying to explain to them exactly everything that you're yeah. trying to do? <laughs> you just walk up to them and be like, okay, so here's the phase I'm in. And here's yeah. what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but I think I think what you just said was really important. Like, you, you want... Like that, that example of getting them involved, um, we have talked about involving stakeholders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a great way to coach is kind of by involving them in these processes. So basically, like if you're going into research, you're going to be um, involving the stakeholders that you need in, in that, that aspect. You're going to allow them to, um, sh- you can show them your research plan. That's a great way to say like, this mm-hmm. is how I do this part of, you know, this part, this phase of design. And, you know, then you could ask them their feedback and, you know, all that stuff. So as you go into these different phases of your design process and you're involving those different stakeholders, um, they're able to see how you work and how they can help you with that work. Um, I think that would be a, a wonderful way to, to explain it to them versus like just sending them, here's a document, here's yeah. the design process <laughs> and all the bullet points of what here's I do. Here's how I work. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that would be as effective. Um, yeah, I guess living living by example and involving them in that process. Um, first off, we, we know we need stakeholders involved in those processes. You shouldn't be doing it all by yourself as a designer. Um, so that's the first step is you're going to involve them. And mm-hmm. I think it's great as you're involving them to explain what you're doing so they can understand why they're being involved and how they can help. Um, 
and then basically that it's going to just make for a better product all around as you, as you're involving them and, and getting that data from them. Well, so, then they can jump in when they want to jump in as well, right? Sure. They can be more involved or less involved depending on what they actually care about mm-hmm. and who the stakeholder actually is. Cause some stakeholders care more about other things than, than others. Yep. Right. So yeah, they get, they get to kind of like see it like transparency is huge. Mm-hmm. Like just in coaching in general, like any any coaching thing, transparency is huge. Every, if everybody understands what's going on, then it's easier to like know your role, right? Yes. It's easier to know where you come into this process. It's it's easier to know where as a designer you back off and come back in, you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, when when you're on the field, right? Like that's that's easier to know. Um, so I think transparency, having that transparency with your best practices, and then making sure that you're. I think one thing too is make making sure that in the exchange of those best practices or those concepts or those ideas that there is, there is, um, room for room for questioning. Yeah. Not, not questioning in like, are you doing this correctly? But like, <laughs> why are you doing it that way? You know? So there's yeah. clarity. Cause I think if you like, like say we, we did it this way over at this company or I read this article or something on user testing, like, well, why don't we do it that way? And allowing both parties to understand and and align on that, mm-hmm. build some build some uh, build a build a common commonality between those two, because that's where I think the best practices are actually formed. It's one thing for us to be like, oh, here's my design best practices, and then trying to hand them to an engineer, yeah, or hand them to a PM who a, a PM or an engineer, somebody who doesn't really understand what the design process is, because then you got to explain it to them, right? And then it's like, oh. It's another thing to be like, okay, here's the here's the parts where we actually care, you know. Here's the parts that we intersect. Mm-hmm. What what are our best practices in those parts? Interesting. Like, what do you expect from me? What do I expect from you? So it's kind of like a working agreement thing that you're figuring kind of, out yeah. kind of before beforehand, right? Yeah, and that might change depending on who the person is and the stakeholder. Yeah. Um, because I mean. Like let's just take like a salesperson for example. I don't know if that many salespeople really are super interested in the intricacies of the design process, mm-hmm. but they're going to be interested in how this impacts another feature. Probably, namely, like we we have one feature, we have feature A, and you're building feature B. How is the feature B going to affect how I demo feature A? Yeah. Like, does it add? Does it subtract? Does it change my pitch? Does it change my story I'm telling? Like they want to know those things, and so they might want to know how you how you arrive at that same conclusion. Like, how does B change A, and how what was your best practice on discovering that? Hmm. So there might be some areas there, but they don't need to know. Like they, they probably don't really care too much about like designs best practices as a whole. But yeah. that one spot, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, defining where they fit in. And this is, again, something we've talked about, like in terms of stakeholders, you have all these stakeholders and they're everywhere. Um, and you wanted to find who you're going to involve in this project as a stakeholder. Yeah. Um, and where they fit in and where they don't. And that's going to depend on where they feel like they need to fit in too. Mm-hmm. So asking them like, you know, I don't know if it's directly asking them, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, figuring that out. So I guess that, that's the next question is like, how do you figure out where they fit in? Um, and what what do you coach them on based on where they fit in? Yeah, well, well, and I think part of coaching too along that same line, part of coaching too, well, there's two things here because like 
part of coaching is is you're helping that person do something, right? That's mm-hmm. what you're trying to do as a coach. You're That's like, right. Oh, I'm trying to help you do this thing. Yeah. So part of it is not like there's there's the there's the transfer of information, but the focus should be on what is their involvement. Not necessarily what I do. Yeah, that's really I think as designers, that's the trap we get into is here's our best practices. Like abide by them, yeah. right? But they don't need to be involved in half of that. They don't need to understand half of that um, because they don't really care about half of that. Mm-hmm. So if as another stakeholder, it's like you have to figure out where that where that interaction point is in this process and what you really care about. Like you just brought up. And then the other part of it is the best practice. It's a best practice. It's not, it's not a commandment. It's not, it's not a rule. Yeah. It's a best practice, right? It's a guideline. Yeah. It's a guideline. And mm-hmm. like they change. Yeah. They change all the time. So then understanding like they do change and maybe part of your design will change because, uh, because of the stakeholder, mm-hmm. right? Like they're going to, they're going to modify your best practice or you should, you should be willing to modify or update your best practices. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Because they're best practices. Yeah, they're not ideal practices. Or I mean, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. They are ideal practices. They are, yeah. <laughs> they're not the practice. Yeah. Is they're they're just they're just some of the practices yeah. <laughs> that you can use. Yeah, but no, the, and they should modify it. They should modify depending on the project, um, depending on the stakeholder, depending on. Uh, the, you know, the user is a stakeholder too, right? Um, <clears throat> Again, I think it just, I think it goes back to what we talked about before is like um, stakeholder interviews are critical for that. Mm-hmm. Some kind of formal stakeholder interview or stakeholder understanding is critical for that. Because if you don't understand, like there's no way you can transfer the, the, you know, there's no way you can talk to them about best practices or coach them on anything if you don't even know how they're going to interact with you during a process. Yeah. And who, who's going to interact with you during the process? Like I'm thinking in terms of like QA, I've worked in, I've worked with plenty of different um, quality assurance people. And some of those people really like to be involved in the design process at the beginning. So when they QA at the end, like in in terms of like a manual QA, Mm -hmm. when they QA at the end, they know exactly like what and why you made those decisions so that they know what, how to even QA it. Yeah. They know what right. the actual like final job is that you're solving for. Yeah, and then some QA just want to know the. They just want to see a mock, mm-hmm. and that's it. As long as it looks like a mock, then it's good. Yeah, but it just depends on how much they want to know and how much they care about it, and how much it actually affects their job, mm-hmm. right? And what they're trying to accomplish. So I think it starts. I think again, it starts. It starts with designers trying to uh, facilitate and be th- synthesizers of the project. So that you know exactly who needs to be involved and when they're involved, so then you can actually then coach them on what that is. Okay, that's right? really interesting. I think so. Like, so you have as a designer, you have your guidelines of like, here's typically how we do things, but you're also with your stakeholders, you're you know interviewing them, meeting with them, and you're kind of defining like how they're going to be involved along with them, and you're kind of forming these best practices. Um, with, of course, the guidelines in mind, is that yeah? I think is that kind of <laughs> well, and and what they're because they have guidelines and they have their best practices, right? Yeah, like every stakeholder in any project has their own set of guidelines and best practices, mm-hmm. and just because you have this particular set of you know 
really, really focused design thinking principles <laughs> um, doesn't mean that they have those same principles and guidelines. Yeah. Right. So when you're coaching someone, I've never been a coach, but like, I don't know how to coach. It's, it's really, you just need but a whistle. But I watched the TV show coach. You just need a whistle and you need some really high shorts. <laughs> you need shorts. Yeah. yeah. You need a whistle and you just blow the whistle. Yeah. But again, I think that even involves like sometimes you have to blow the whistle and be like, wait, wait, time out. It does. Like that's not the way we were planning it. And I don't think you're going to avoid that. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're, I don't think there's a mystical way of like relaying your design process to somebody where they're clearly going to understand what you've gone through because I think it changes. So there will be times when that happens where you've got to blow the whistle and be like, wait, 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 time out. Like that's, that's like, <laughs> No, we're mixing like a ton of metaphors here. <laughs> I can't say timeout. <laughs> That's like, you say, wait, 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 wait. Like, uh, we need to rethink that play, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that doesn't work. There's going to be times where you have to make sort of on-the-field decisions, right? Of like, we drew that up this way, and then we ran the play, and it didn't work. Yeah. Are we going to run that play again? Because it didn't work. Or are we going to make adjustments? And then who are the stakeholders on the team that need to make those adjustments? And then understanding why they need to make those adjustments, right? Yes. There's going to be those times. And as a designer, you're more than, you, you more than have right to do that. Yeah. If, if a project is not going the way that it was intended, it's not because you miscommunicated it all the time or you're a terrible designer or they're terrible stakeholders in the project. It's because it's because things happen, right? Life happens. Sometimes it's because you're doing your job as a designer. Yeah. Like for example, you have this idea, you formulated this idea with your stakeholders, and you move on, and you like keep going through it with design, and then you test it, and you realize, oh, this is actually a horrible (laughs) idea. Oops. And so you have to, as you say, blow the whistle, right? And then either modify it or just dump it all together. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to you have to establish a plan, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to make sure that kind of everybody on the team knows the plan. Yeah. At what time and when do they care about that plan? I don't know. Like a punter in a football game probably doesn't <laughs> care about, you know, uh, he, I, I would assume a punter in a football game is probably not paying attention to the game uh, during your first couple plays. You don't think They're so? They're going to worry about third down for sure, right? Because they might have to, they may have to be on the field fourth down. Yeah. But – First down, they're probably not too concerned with, you know, second down, maybe not. But third down, they're going to be like, oh, am I, am I coming up or not? I don't know. Are we moving the chains or not as a team? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think being a coach is coordinating that, first of all, and then making sure you're lining up the plays, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's what you do. So when you're trying to coach somebody on your best practices, my best practices are just the project altogether. It's, it's going to happen during the course of the project. It's not going to happen at the beginning yeah, so, you, so you're saying you can't really meet and have these working agreements super well. Not at the beginning of the process, can you? I don't know. Like you can't just map out everything and then just be like, let's do it. I think that's the problem with process is people rely on the process too much. Okay. Right? And then I think that's very possible. And then that could actually hurt um, the final pro- the outcome of the yeah, whole thing. You, you right? have to make adjustments along the way. Of course. Um. And that's just part of it. I think if you understand the process is a guideline and not like it has to go through every little step, yeah, then it can help. So I think, I think you can at least meet at the beginning and say like, here's how we're going to do this. 
um, and it might change, but here's our plan, right? Mm -hmm. Is it is it important to like maybe relay a plan of what we're going to do? Um, you know, run that by a stakeholder, get the stakeholders input feedback on that plan. And then um, I guess have it be known that it can change. And that, that plan is your best practice, right? Yeah. We're going to set a plan. We're going to set that best practice Okay. as a team or as a designer. I want your feedback on it now before we embark on that journey. Mm-hmm. But things could change yeah. along the way or they should change along the way. Yeah. And I think the coaching comes in, whereas you are a designer, like you are the facilitator of making mm-hmm. sure this this experience is the right one. Um, and that's how you are coaching. And so you can relay that plan. Let them know this plan's going to change. This is this is how you can be involved. This is, you know, give me your feedback on how you'd like to be involved, all that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's where you as a designer come in. I think the coach, the word coach is a great one because you are a big facilitator as a designer. You're just making sure it's going through. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and part of being a coach, like I think, I think, um, I think designers should be champions of, of bias, mm. especially in the, especially in the developer designer PM triangle. Yeah. I think they're the ones that, I think the de- I think the designer should own that. A designer should own that best practice of eliminating bias. Mm-hmm. Like um, I think we're the best candidate to do that, simply because we're looking at a we're trying to look, or we should be looking at a at what we're building as holistically as possible. Yeah. Right. And coming from the user perspective, coming exactly. from our client perspective. So I think we should be the ones that champion that bias, and so part of that coaching is. Well, best practice on my team, like as an example, best practice on our team should be eliminating bias, right? Mm-hmm. Not getting rid, not not totally getting rid of it, but eliminating it. If that's our best practice, what are some of the what are some of the things we can do to to eliminate that? One, be aware of it. Mm-hmm. So, as a designer, that's a place where you can totally coach all the other stakeholders in the project and say, like, are we aware of our bias? Let's sit down and write it down, like. Let's write down all of our assumptions at the beginning of the project. Yep. You know, we think people are this, 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 and then get all get everybody involved. Like that's how you can facilitate and coach the rest of the team because those that part of the design process is something that that they affect directly. Yes. Oh, I totally agree. Like that's not really on the developer to <laughs> to challenge that bias. Yeah. They're, it's their job to build this thing, right? It's not exactly on the PM. I think some of it can be that at least them understanding the user mm-hmm. a little bit, um, but absolutely has to be coming from the designer who's understanding an experience, understanding the user, yeah. and creating a solution for them in terms of an experience. And then calling that bias out and saying, like, look, mm-hmm. hey, we all have bias. We all have bias on this project. What's your bias? What's my bias? What are our assumptions? And then making sure that that air is cleared before you can move on to the next part, right? Yeah. And then you move on to that next part. You go back. You go near, do your design thing. You present a thing, and then there's there's going to be there's going to be less challenge. There's going to be less. Um, everybody's on the same page going forward as mm-hmm. far as like what what's being what's being built. Yeah, I think I agree with that. So stuff like that. I don't know if that's a good example, but I think that being like um, the best practice. That's like a very great underlining piece of the best practices. Is like you are. 
you're doing all this and this is all going to change. But my, one of my biggest jobs is making sure we get rid of that. Yeah. Uh, to make sure this is still the right thing. Right. But you can step in as a coach and say, Hey, PM, like you're biased, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're acting very biased. Point, point some fingers. So you can point some fingers and you say, look, you're acting very biased here. I can, I have a tool that helps you remove your bias. Let's write it down. Let's get it out. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Like, why are we biased this way? And that way you can move forward and write the questions in the right way. Yeah. That way you can move forward with your user research and research in the correct way mm -hmm. and then come back and then be like, and then come back. Oh, we have another tool. Remember how we were biased at the beginning? We did all this research. We have another tool that we can use in our bag. That's like, let's compare, let's, let's compare the bias. Let's compare the results. Cause yeah. maybe we were right. Maybe our bias was right. <laughs> like you don't know, or maybe we completely off. We don't, we don't know. Oh, exactly. <clears throat> So yeah, just, just saying like, we have tools as designers, we have best practices and tools that can help you do your job better. Mm -hmm. And so do they like in return. I don't know. I think, I think that's, that's <laughs> I think there's a lot there that we just unpacked. Um, but I think that covers it. Am I crazy? Deep thoughts with Andy. <laughs> I think that covers it. And I think we should, I think we should, uh, I think more designers should wear shorty shorts and carry whistles around. Yeah, should we? Okay, here. Okay, here's another thing. You know how designers are always changing what their titles are. Should we be like experienced yeah. coaches or something? Experienced coaches. How, should we? We should bring coach coach into the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we are we as designers we are facilitators. Mm hmm. I feel like we could be coaches. We could be coaches, maybe. I mean, it's, it'll be on, really at certain, on certain level. Yes. We just have to like really workshop a great name for how that works. There's this whole weird idea that like going back to like everybody's a designer concept. There's this weird idea that we are truly just facilitators. And I don't, I get really uncomfortable with that because I don't think that's not part of that. Like that is part of design, but it's not, it's not holistically part of design. It's not holistically part of it. Yeah, does that, that that was a dumb sentence, but it's not the entire piece of the pie, right? Is it because are you saying that because we are also like like we facilitate, but we also are key decision makers as designers, right? Well, yeah. So there's facilitation. There's yeah. there's making a decision uh -huh. and owning that decision, and then there's um, there's the actual execution of that, mm -hmm. right? So I think designers spend most of their time executing. If maybe I'm totally wrong, but they spend a lot of time in that craft yeah. of execution, like actually creating the mocks, actually creating the workflows, actually creating the wireframes, mm -hmm. actually doing those things. That's the craft part of it. But design is really unique in that um, everybody has the ability to generate great ideas and to, and to come up and experiment with things like anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But then when it comes down to then you make a decision and then you execute, like that's the craft part that I think people ignore in the whole everyone's a designer like debate. Yeah. Right. Is yeah. that part. And that part is not necessarily the coaching part. It's the I'll go do my job, my craft part. Right. Yeah. No, that that totally makes sense. I think you just closed the case, man. Well, if you in do my it, mind, you, you just it, did. <laughs> well, but if you do it with uh, if you do it with any other industry, right? I like to compare it to any other industry. If you did it with a jeweler, it'd be the same thing. 
right? You go in, you you go in, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna propose to your girlfriend, okay, right, Andy? I mean, Andy's. How many girlfriends do you have right now, Andy? Uh, just the one. Just the one. <laughs> um, and you happen to just be married to her, right? Yeah, that's it. But like, you you're gonna propose to your loved one, right? And you uh-huh. have these ideas. She he has these ideas. You're going to go out and you're going to go meet with a jeweler and you're going to talk about those ideas. Mm-hmm. And if any jeweler is like a good jeweler, they're going to they're going to listen. They're going to talk to you about those ideas. They're going to realize that like no, we can't turn gold into that shape. It's like impossible. Like idiot. I don't why did you even come up with that? But again, like they're going to they're going to try to get the essence of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And then they're going to go back and they're going to make decisions and they're going to execute and they're going to present that to you again. Say, what about this, right? And essentially, that's what a designer does, right? In any industry, in this industry, uh, graphic design, anything, we take feedback from everywhere, stakeholders, users, everyone, people who are very interested in it. Mm -hmm. We bring that back and we do coach them. Like a jeweler is going to coach you. When you go in and take a ring, you you have like 10 sketches of this sweet, (laughs) this like sweet ring you want to make. He's going to be like, we can't do that because... If we make gold too thin in a year from now, that little prong is going to break off and you're going to lose your diamond, yeah. right? Like that that would be something. And then you go, oh, okay, well, what could we do there? And then you're like, oh, well, we could do this and this and this, right? Like that's a jeweler coaching a client about their custom design. Yeah. Anything you do, anything custom is going to have this situation, right? Mm-hmm. That's facilitation. That's coaching. But then there comes a time where it's like, now we go back and execute. We'll go build this thing and we'll bring it back out to you. We'll go design this thing. We'll bring it back out to you. I'll go design this. And maybe as I'm designing, I'll think of a different way to make it that thin without that prong breaking in a year. And I'll present that to you. And that will change your plans, right? That might change your thought process that we were just talking about. But on some level, I have to go back and actually work with the material. And I think that's the part that everybody forgets in this designers or facilitators is that part of the part of the process of design is actually working with the material, actually experimenting with it, and seeing what you can actually do with it, seeing if you can push the boundaries, seeing if you can even come up with that idea that they had, right? Mm-hmm. But facilitating happens first, but it's not the design process. So what you're saying is facilitation is like a tool in the design process, right? It's like a way that to allow you to make decisions, um, but it's not the actual way to make a decision. Yeah. You actually need to take that and then you could use it to help you make a decision. But then you as a designer make the decision and execute on that decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sometimes you're going to know. You're going to know exactly what you're going to do. You have a plan. Sure. Other times you're going to spend, you know, half the time, you know, trial and error experimenting. Because mm-hmm. you, you don't know. You've, you've made an assumption, but you don't know. Yeah. So I think that's where we we always forget, like, in the, in the debate that there is actually there's actually a craft to design. And that's where like the big skill part comes in, where you're executing, you're taking all of this information and you you make a decision and you, you can make a decision and you start with the, the craft, the execution part and find out that decision doesn't work. When you're, as yeah. you say, like playing with the materials, they could actually make the decision, oh, I am going to make this, this um, diamond shape like a cat or something. And I go and try to play with that. Yeah. Um, which that sounds like a and really cool And realize that, hey, I don't even have the tool to shape a diamond like that. <laughs> or I could go buy a tool that could shape a diamond like that. Yeah. Or like you don't know until you actually start working with the material. Like I, there's been plenty of times where 
like developers, PMs and stuff like that are asking me if something's possible or something like, like, Hey, that'd be a great idea. And I was like, yeah, that, I think that's a fantastic idea. Like, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a great idea, but I just don't know how we would do it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go back and be like, let me go play around, you know? And then of course, in this whole world of everyone's a designer, they, they want to be behind your shoulder watching <laughs> you do it. And you're like, that's not going to help me. Yeah. We, we do this with development too. Like developers are the same way. They have, there's a, they, there's the it's craft driven. There's a huge part of that craft. And a lot of times it's like, Hey, give me an estimate. Blah, 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 blah. They go back and they're like, yeah, I've used this library before. I've used this. I wrote this function, whatever. Mm-hmm. But a lot of their, a lot of their job is going to be, is going to be trial and error. You know, it's going to be taking a metal and heating it up and, and seeing if you can bang it into that sword. And then when you bust it in half, because you've made it too thin, you're like, well, oh, guess I can't do that. Let's try it again. You know, like it's a lot of, that's my blacksmith reference. <laughs> there, Andy. <laughs> so you're making my wheels turn. So if we say, if we say um, everyone's a designer, then everyone would be able to do all of that. They would be able to facilitate something as a designer, facilitate these ideas, find a, a great idea and make a decision. I'm going to do this idea. And then they could be able to go in and actually execute on that idea. So what you're saying, everyone's not a designer because they can't actually make a, a solid decision and execute on it. Yeah, or balance. Let's just take one principle of design, visual hierarchy, right? Is everybody going to be able to understand what that means and how to balance that? I don't think so. In terms know. of view? Probably not. Yeah. Like there is a craft to that, right? Mm-hmm. There is there is an actual like and that's that's part of the execution definition. like here's the right way to do it right yeah yeah but design is so much ideas and so much experimentation mm-hmm. that it's like yeah everybody should be involved and we should you know yeah like that kind of thing but at the end of the day like no there's the designer is the one that executes on this okay that's interesting and the, and they're a paid professional to execute on that mm-hmm. right yeah. They have the skills. They've been to college. They've had the training. They've been to, they took an online course, whatever, right? They understand what visual hierarchy is. It's not a protected skill. Like you could tell somebody what visual hierarchy is, mm-hmm. but this person hopefully has done it a few times and hopefully can understand how to apply that principle when needed. Yeah. Right? Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Some people suck at it. <laughs> But they're not designers, Andy. Yes. <laughs> as soon as you get visual hierarchy, then you can execute, and then <laughs> you're a designer. Nailed that. <laughs> you're done. This is a good Coke, by the way. Good. You like your Coke? Is yeah. it is it diet? It's a good mixture. Oh, no. No, you're not a diet it's person? It's bad for you, dude. Okay, but regular Coke isn't bad for you. Oh, regular Coke's bad for you, too. <laughs> but diet Coke, diet Coke's even worse. Do you have anything mixed in there? Do you have like cherry or vanilla? No, why would I mess with the formula like that? You're not messing with the formula. You're adding to the formula. No, you're you're screwing with it. You're screwing. Okay, dude. The, the the masters of Coke, the masters of Coke, they mastered this flavor. Yeah, they they mastered the why would Coke I put in lime general. In it? I, I don't know because sense. they tell you to when they sell you a Coke with lime in it. But or if they lime sell you was better, they would put with... lime in the Coke and then just no, give me that. No, that's just a different flavor, Patrick. That's why they sell vanilla Coke. That's why they sell uh, – is there a lime Coke? Are you, say, a... are you saying like these flavors are just different colors of shoes kind of thing? Like <laughs> like 
you make Converse. We've uh-huh. nailed it. But yeah. some people want green Converse. Some people want black Converse. Exactly. That's exactly it. I'm, I don't know. I just go with the black Converse. So, I go with the standard. Oh, that's the standard. So you're saying that like that's. Because it's good enough. It's good enough. Why would I need Cause vanilla? You, you put vanilla in it. It feels, it feels like somebody, you, you put your, like the air freshener of a car in your soda. Like that seems weird. To you, maybe. <laughs> Some other individuals might like it, man. Somebody might want orange Converse shoes. They might. Yeah. They might. I'm just saying, why would you? I mean, that's a different, it's probably a different analogy. <laughs> <laughs> It's not LaCroix for sure. This has flavor. So Yeah. It's definitely not LaCroix because I can I can taste something. Mm-hmm. Like if you drink a LaCroix, I understand why you would want to mix other things into La- to a LaCroix because it doesn't taste like anything. It just tastes like it just tastes like slightly sparkled water. That's exactly what it is. With no flavor. That's what it's supposed to be. Are you like do we need to do the taste test? Because I don't think like if you took pomegranate and peach, uh-huh. those two different flavors. Almost guarantee you they're not different flavors. There there are some. I bet they're the if you exact do, same flavor. Okay, here we go. If you do like lemon, the lemon one, or like the lime one, they. There's no difference. There's not a big difference, but there's a huge difference if you like do the coconut one or you do the key lime one. What if what if you found out? What if the what if the founder, <laughs> the creator, the the uh, the uh, what do they call the scientist, the chemicalist person, uh-huh. the chemical engineer behind LaCroix came out tomorrow? And said, Andy, every flavor is exactly the same. We only make one LaCroix. And then we just package it and your brain thinks it's different. Then I'd be fine with it. My brain thinks it's you different. You would still just buy like the Pomplamoose. Sure. And pay three bucks extra for that. Um, if so, okay. so if that's the case bucks, that so. everything is the exact same flavor, that's fine. It'll blow your mind, dude. Maybe, but I don't I think they're the is. exact same flavor. No, I think we is. were talking about this yesterday. Um, I was talking. <laughs> I was talking to my PM, Michael. Shout out to Michael. Um, M and M's. Bring him up anyway. Because I'm t- I'm telling you a story about Jeez. him. M and M's. Do they have a different flavor? No, they don't have a different flavor. Are you sure? Yes. Because we had the impression that they did not have a different flavor, and he tried them with his eyes closed and said that tastes different. This tastes like a yellow, and it was a yellow. No, he's he's a liar. <laughs> he's a liar. That's impossible. What what would it taste? It doesn't taste like yellow. What does it taste like? I don't know is what it, it tastes banana? like. Banana? Is it lemon? What is, you, what's the flavor? I don't know. Usually, when you eat M and M's, you put them. You just like throw a huge like handful in your mouth, right? You don't like you don't eat like dude, the, all the blues together. Have you anybody use a, Dude, you get. Do you know how to eat M and M's? You take you take you I rip open the package of your M&Ms, you put them out on the table, uh-huh. you separate them into color, you put <laughs> them in colors. rainbow order, and then you eat one from each section. Which one do you eat first of all the colors? Yellow. Yellow. So tell me why you do this, Patrick. Is it because they all taste differently? They don't they taste the same. So why do you They don't taste different. So then why don't you just like open the package and then dump them in your mouth? Well, I do that too. You just put them in your hand and throw them on. Yeah, I mean there's different ways to eat things, right? Yeah. But they, they're not different. They're not. I different. think they might be different. They're, they're not. And I am very certain that Lacroix is different. You go try a coconut one. That is very much. It tastes that. That one actually has a lot more flavor than the rest. We're assuming that you can actually taste any flavor. You can taste it. Have you had a coconut no one? There's no flavor before? in a Lacroix. Have you had one? A coconut one. 
I don't think I've ever had a coconut okay. one. Okay, we can make that happen. Because that one tastes like coconut. So is the next episode going to be coconut and M&M's? It's going to be LaCroix and M&M's? We'll mix day. them together. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way M&M's are different flavors. Why Why is there no way? Skittles are different flavors. Why can't M&M's be different flavors? Of course Skittles are different flavors. They say on the package they're different flavors. Yeah. Why would an M&M taste any different than another M&M? Because they have different colors. Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's still chocolate. Yeah. Apparently. I did a very quick test with my PM, and he said they they tasted different. Yeah, I, don't, I think we have to redo this. I think under, we should. Under we should do a better test. We need to do this. We need to have a control environment. We need to have a placebo environment. Yes. We need to bring in things that aren't M&Ms. Mm-hmm. We need to bring in M&Ms. We need to have. We need to do this legit. We need to do this scientific. What are the things that are not M&Ms? Are they like this? Like those fake M&Ms. That fake you get, M&Ms. Like the bulk. You know, you go to Macy's and you get like the bulk M&Ms, but they're not M&Ms. Okay. They're like bulk candy shells candy. Yeah. Or whatever they call them. Throw those in the mix. Okay, we're going to do this scientific study. <laughs> um, if you guys have any other topics, let us know. Hashtag design much topics. Uh, send us an email at topics at designmuch.org. Um, go buy a t-shirt. You can go buy a t-shirt, Andy. I want They're to. They're on uh, com. And then we have workshops coming up. We got how to run a design crit, critique. It's coming. Oh, it's it's this month. Yeah, it's this month. It's coming up at the end of this month. Is that me? Am I doing that one? Uh, or are you doing yeah. that one? You did I, the I last, did the last one, 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 like there's millions of people that go to work way before nine. Absolutely. Like, geez. I don't get it. Rush hour traffic starts at like six in the morning. <laughs> um, and then yeah, go rate us on iTunes. <clears throat> we need that four point eight, Andy. Yeah, we're get, we're getting up there. We're getting close, but we do need it. What what are we gonna do when we get the four point eight though? I don't know. What do we really need it? What happens if we go? What happens if we dip through to a two point eight? Does anybody, does it even matter? Does like iTunes kick us off the platform? <laughs> we get a call from Tim Cook saying, step it up. I don't know. Yeah. What are you guys doing over there? But we do Better have to decide. Content. We do have to decide what happens when we get the 4.8. What's going to happen? I don't know. Do we have a party? Do we have like a LaCroix party? LaCroix party. It seems like if we want to celebrate something, we'd celebrate with something that's. It's uh, flavorful yeah. and enjoyable, not like a LaCroix. Just like when you're in school and you're like, whoever, you know, if we all can all get a at least a B on this test, we'll have a pizza party. Yeah, we can do a pizza party. <laughs> so what we'll do, Patrick, is the pizza we... party is such a stupid well, thing, too. No, that, how is that a stupid thing? You freaking eat pizza every day. Like what? You eat pizza every day? What Who doesn't of, eat pizza that's every amazing. day? You live an amazing life. When you're, you know, when you live at this level, it's all... <laughs> It's all Little Caesars every day. Well, we will get like the pie or something, and then we'll just sit here on the podcast and we'll just eat pizza and, pizza. and sip LaCroix while we do our episodes. Let's talk about Beetlejuice or something. And you will all be a part of it. 
Yeah. Let's do it. What, what do you mean? We'll pizza juice? Party? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk Beatles. If that's why, what you wanted to. I don't know why that popped into my head, but it did. I'm down to talk I was thinking of, I was thinking of what kind of movies, what current movies we could talk about. Okay. And the only current movie I could think of was Be the Okay. We could talk about Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Have you yeah. seen it? Are you a Fast and Furious guy? I'm not. That's a whole topic for another day. I've seen the first one, and that's it. That's, that's it. All? Yeah. But I'm curious because I know how much you love the the FF universe, mm-hmm. the Funiverse, um, as they call it, right? No. <laughs> I'm pretty I can sure tell, I can tell you've called. seen one movie. <laughs> But you're you're big into the it's universe. It's the greatest fran- It's the greatest movie franchise of all time. I've I've heard you say all that. of you Star Wars nerds, all of you Marvel universe people have no idea. <laughs> like it's fast, fast and Furious is the greatest, the greatest Hollywood franchise of all time. Of all time. All time. Wow. I think we do need an F you George Lucas. I'm going to add this to our <laughs> our conversation topic list. Um, I want you to defend it. I, I don't know, you know. Put it on the list. We'll defend it. I don't know days. how this could be the best one of all time, but I mean, The Rock is on it, so I can kind of see that. But he's only been yeah. in how many? Like three of the films. He's uh, four, I think. Four. I don't keep track. I'm not like. Yeah, I'm right. more you of an experience. I, I I experience the Fast and the Furious. I don't get all. Ooh, he's been in three and a half. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> You experience it. It's holistic. Okay. Nope. Greatest movie franchise of all time. I mean, if it has The Rock in it, you're already better than any other franchise. Yeah. I wish um, The Rock was in my universe, my my story. But he's, he's in, not He's yet. in all of our universes. Anyway. He's in all of our universes. <laughs> he's not in my story yet, though. I'm trying to work on that. Well, yeah. We we'll were get gonna, him. Well, he interviewed here. He interviewed? Yeah, he interviewed here as a junior designer. <laughs> <laughs> But you guys didn't hire him. No, because there's a lot of remote work. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of like, oh, well, I got to finish up these movies. Yeah. And I can move in. Yeah. And he would be very intimidating in a design critique, you know? You don't really want to talk bad about his designs. Not really. I think that's that's more for other people to deal with, not necessarily him. I don't think that's his fault. Um, you know, but I think other people need to need to relax. Yeah. Because he's not, he's a, he's a very, uh, he's a very intelligent um, very thoughtful, very sensitive human being. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. The main problem was our dinky gym downstairs was not up to par. Okay. I, I would think you would have like a really nice gym at his house that he could use, but maybe that's what I thought too. But but I guess he just he just gets his muscles from working out at junior designer mm-hmm. jobs. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's one way to do it. All right, Andy, let's end it. This is too long. This was, uh, we're pushing 55 minutes. We're, we're, we're going to be an hour once I get the audio in, once I get the music in. Yeah, we're in trouble. I don't have to cut out that whole entire bit about the best practices and yeah. coaching best practices. <laughs> <laughs> Just stick with the LaCroix thing, yeah. the, the everyone's designer, and the, uh, the rock as a junior designer.
I think that makes sense. Oh, hey. Uh, <laughs> since we're talking about podcasts, uh, there's a couple local podcasts you guys should check out. And this is totally – I've been listening to these podcasts. This isn't like me – uh, these are these are actually two of my favorite new podcasts. Oh yeah, that the one that you sent me, mm-hmm. the the CEO one, the C, or the CTO one. Yeah. So what's it, it called? The uh, uh, is it CTO? Okay, let's. Look I'm gonna up. go to we Spotify. Should have, where we probably should have been um, prepared for this okay, uh, podcast. Oh, here's okay. Here they are. Here they are. Here's my new favorite. And these are these are good design podcasts. Um. Uh. Are, are good tech podcasts, right? Um, I've been listening to the Utah CTO show a lot lately. I don't think this is necessarily a show just for Utah people, though. No, okay. I think it's a really good show. It's My, for everyone because it's it's interviewing CTOs, right? Yeah, it's interviewing CTOs or tech leaders. I find it super fascinating because it's a different perspective, but a lot of things are the same. Um, I like that one, and that one's cool because their their episodes are only like seventeen minutes long; they're really short, mm-hmm. so you can crank through a few of them. In your unlike community. ours, unlike this fifty-five minute podcast we're on right now. Um, I also like uh, so um, Christy Ruck posted this in LinkedIn one day, and I've been listening to a lot about. I've been listening to this a lot. It's called Women at Work. The Women at Work podcast. Okay. Fascinating. Really? Yeah. I haven't heard of this one. It's awesome. You guys should check it out. Um, that's a great one. It's way better than this podcast for sure. Hands down. I bet it is. Um, and then the other one that's, that one's not, I don't think that one's local or anything. That one's, that one's like a national thing. Um, the little byline is women face gender discrimination throughout our careers. You know, it's about, a lot of it's about the tech industry too. Okay. So um, that one's really, really cool. And then uh, Dylan Winspear's podcast I've been listening to a lot lately. I was a little gun shy at the beginning. I'll be honest. I didn't listen to it a lot. I didn't listen to it for a while. Yeah, but I thought he was competing with us. I thought there was boundary <laughs> issues. I thought there was. Uh, I thought there was a little turf. I thought we were gonna have like a turf war. Oh yeah. And then uh, yeah, I started listening to more of his episodes. He and, cranks them out, man. And that show is called Designed Today, right? Designed Today yeah. with Dylan Winspear. And you can find that on YouTube. You can find that on YouTube on, as well. That's a, probably why he's getting more hits. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he interviews people. He interviews people here locally, but as but around everywhere else too. He's been yeah. branching out more lately. Um, great looking beard. He's got a great looking beard. That's, not like not like ours, Andy. Ours no. are pretty trash. Mine is pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, I would agree. I would agree that yours is pretty horrible, Andy. Thanks, man. <laughs> So it's mine. I've been looking to cut it. <laughs> All right. We're three and a half hours into this podcast. We'll go ahead and stop. <laughs>